everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Miss Nigan Isquiak. I am Kayla, one of the lovely bookwomen, your amazing Métis aunties, and I am here with... I'm Tanya, and we have... Sheila, and our guest... Shane Chartrand. <laughs> Yay. Nice to have you here, Shane. Yeah, um, thank you so much. It's nice to be here. And how do you introduce yourself to people? So there's ways that I'm supposed to do it, and there's ways that I do it. So my name would be uh, Shane Medrick Chartrand. My real name is Shane St. John Gordon. I'm from the Muskosic Enoch tribe that's out of Edmonton. I'm the uh, culinary advisor or the culinary ambassador for the River Creek Resort and Casino. I'm the uh, author of Marrow, Progressive Indigenous Food, which is written with Jennifer Cockrell King, one of the best writers in this country, and I will always say that. And also um, part of documentary series and TV shows. I guess, uh, first of all, I saw your book. Yeah. To wow, and it says on it, um, progressive indigenous cuisine. What yes. does that mean to you? Uh, progressive, sometimes people think it means like really high end, fast forward, you know, like high end, but that's not it. Progressive means food is ever changing and it is always ever changing. So, you guys know this, or you ladies know this, because you are all foodies and you guys all eat. And actually, I hate that word, but I am—I just used it, so uh, I won't take it back. But um, <laughs> we, we all love food. We love wine. We love food. We love to go to places. Right now, it's really tricky because obviously that's not really happening anymore. But progressive Indigenous cuisine means that, you know, if I was to uh, make elk one day, I might make it different the next day or the next week or whatever. My mind, my mind's always dreaming this stuff up. So when you dream, um, when I say that, I mean it, okay? So a lot of people think that I exaggerate sometimes or I say things that they don't believe in, but it's all about dreams. And so when I dream of a dish, I have to have people kind of bang me back and slow me down because it gets a little out of control. Um, And so progressive Indigenous cuisine is just ever-changing. And Indigenous people change everyone changes greek people change italian people change but the indigenous world of food it's one of the toughest ones to figure out believe me it really is and like it's one of the first like indigenous like cookbooks that i've seen i don't know of any other really but it's not also it's also not a cookbook like it's also like interspersed with a lot of um your own personal stories so what what made that like an important writing choice for you? Because we didn't want just a cookbook. The idea was to write a cookbook. But when's the last time? <clears throat> okay, let's let's be honest. Okay, so I won't say the name of the cookbooks, but very famous. People love them. You go to a you go to someone's house. You see the cookbooks all sitting there. They're on the cookbook stands or whatever, and they're just following it. You know, step by step by step by step. Now, the thing was, I didn't want it just to be a cookbook. I wanted you to be able to have it in your living room, on your coffee table, um, thinking and dreaming. Um, why do I have tattoos? You know, people, people wonder why I got tattoos. Like, like people a little older, not necessarily my age. I didn't get tattoos because I want, I want to look like this mean tattooed chef. I had, I had tattoos when I was 21 years old. 
before they're even ever popular. Um, there's a story behind that, though. There's a story behind my family. Um, I'm 60 scoop. Um, you know, there's just so many things that I had to explain so people not understand what that looks like. People, some people don't understand what residential school is or 60 scoop or foster care or living in, you know, 10 homes for six years and getting adopted and trying to figure out who your family is and trying to figure out who they are. It's a, it's all those stories manifest in, um, you know, my world, my life, my, my mind and my memories and everything. And it's, it's a, it's a hard world to try to get through, but thankfully I got it. And thankfully I did. Yeah. Speaking of stories, I know kind of one of the first things that I can remember from being a kid is learning how to cook or watching my parents cook. So how did you start cooking or kind of like get into cooking? Um, it wasn't something I chose to do. Um, the reason I started cooking was because I asked for a pair of uh, uh, Nikes for Christmas or Reeboks or some crazy expensive pair of shoes. But I grew up on a farm. We don't have a lot of money. You know, we have money, but not a lot of money. And uh, my mom said, no, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I would if I could afford it, I would. But you're just going to have to get a job. You can go down the road. You can go uh, get a job anywhere you want. And um, then you can buy your, buy whatever you want. And I did just that. And the first place I saw was a restaurant, a little truck stop. And I literally mean a truck stop. Like trucks out front, people coming in with overalls, cigars in their mouths. It was crazy. Um, and it was literally a truck stop. I was... 15, I think, <clears throat> and I was a dishwasher. I uh, got picked on lots just be because I was a dishwasher. And then I saw the equipment, like all the flat tops, the grills, the fire, the food, everything. And for me, that was iconic. And I'm like, I can do that. And I want to do that. So that's where food started. It was not because I had some love for food. It's just the equipment, strangely, and the kitchen and the environment. That's what made me want to cook. And that's where it started. So how did you start incorporating in Indigenous elements into the way they cook? Uh, it took a while. Um, so I've only been doing it for about 12 years. I've been cooking for a lot longer than that. But the thing was, I had to realize that I had to go to culinary school, learn French food, Italian food. I had to learn Mediterranean food. I opened a Mediterranean restaurant. I worked at a sushi bar. I worked in L.A., New York, Toronto. I worked in Vancouver. Uh, Stagiaire with uh, Mark McEwen, Suter Lee, all these people that are somewhat my age too, but you know they were they were big time, a lot younger than I was. I'm not saying I am. That's not my point. You, you get what I'm saying. Um, so I had to do the rounds because if I don't do that, then who am I to know anything at all? And then after that, when I turned um, 29. I decided that my whole world has got to be about indigenous food and I've got to start studying the religious part about it, the spirituality part about it, the background about it. And then I started going from nation to nation to nation, from the Mi'kmaq to the Hadigwai to the, um, the Kainai Nation, the Pakani Nation, the Métis settlements, and figure out their food sovereignties. And so that's where I started getting the information. And that's where the book came from. As an Indigenous person, what was it like going to culinary school for you? Oh, well, it wasn't good. I mean, I was 22 years old and I was the only one. 
Um, it didn't, I, I'm not going to talk about racism or get into that kind of stuff. Cause that's not, that's not important. That's enough going on in the news right now that I don't need to, uh, dive into too much about, but yeah, of course it was always there. I mean, let's just be honest. It's, it, it's a fact. Um, I'm the only color kid in this class and, you know, I just did, I didn't take racism as something I need to fight. I just got through it on my own, passed all my grades, finished my exams, moved on and let's be honest let's be honest racism has been around forever this is not a new thing it's true unfortunately not but but people are acting like that it's a new thing like oh my god racism racism like what are you talking about you know it's even worse for me now tattoos i gotta look at look at my fist i got a skull with a headdress on my hand and tell me the police haven't pulled me (laughs) a few times on that one but the thing is that's I, I don't want to steer off I don't want to steer off the conversation all I know is I went to culinary school I didn't care about what people thought about me I was not popular a lot of people didn't like me I didn't care I just wanted to pass my grades move on that's all I wanted to do and I did all on my own matter and the reason I say that is because I got no funding from the government I got no native money or indigenous money I didn't ask for any help I paid for everything on my own and I was broke for quite a while, but I felt it was important that I could disprove that I can do everything on my own. I can't now, but I yeah. just felt it important back then. Yeah. It's one of those like pervasive myths about indigenous folks that like somehow it's free for us when it's not. So yeah, yeah. I have no idea what we don't actually get. That's the crazy part. Everyone thinks we get all this government money everything's free you got to realize my life is smothered around indigenous people we do not get things for free oh do you want some cigarettes and some cheap gas how good is that for your life totally touring around and visiting all the different nations though that must have been quite the journey like not just of i don't know i just for me it seems to me like you just hang out in a lot of kitchens a lot of our cultures kind of center around the kitchen what was that like um, being around kitchens, <clears throat> it's very interesting because there's a guy that you guys will have to look up. His name is Sean Sherman. He's out of uh, Minnesota <clears throat> and he's a sous chef. And what I mean by sous chef, the Sioux tribe, not a sous chef. S-O-S. Oh, okay. But got book, it. Got it. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. <laughs> but the cookbook is called the sous chef. S-O-U-X-I-S. Like Sioux, like the indigenous, I I can't remember how to spell it, but his book's awesome. He's great. He's an amazing guy. Um, I like the twist on words. He's he's probably one of the most confident, smooth, like I'm loud, but um, Sean's very quiet. He's very gentle. He's got a lot of respect. He's got a lot of patience and he's a gentleman and his cookbook's amazing. So we think about these tribes. I mean, I worked with the Lumi Nation. I'm not sure if you know who they are. Um, they are out of Washington. I think they're out of Washington state. And they came up to see me when I was in Vancouver, working in Granville, uh, Granville Island. I'm sure you guys know where that is. And so when you go to nation to nation, city to city, um, I've had people come to find me. And we heard Chef Shane is coming here and they get on a bus and they'd all these kids would show up. I'm like, what the hell? I got to cook. I got to, I got to do a job here. But you, when, if you could inspire one person 
that's all that matters. I mean, you know, my cookbook, if you like it, if you don't, if you do, you do. Um, we've done very well with it, but the whole idea was never really to get fame and fortune. But if I get fame and fortune, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> nice. I hear you on that. Yep. <laughs> so it took you quite a while to do this book. Um, it says in here, took you about four years and you worked you worked with a co-author what was that like okay so jennifer cockerel king one of the best writers in this country um we didn't expect this to happen i've always dreamt about writing a cookbook but i never really thought it was going to be it was going to come to anything same thing as all my tv shows i never thought i'd be on iron chef or chop canada or wallet wall of chefs and you know i stand in a a really strange position where people are looking up to me more than I ever thought. And I'm not complaining. I just got to be very careful and mindful because the one thing that chefs do, and um, trust me, I'll I'll get back to your question. Sorry. No problem. They start getting these big heads, you know, I'm big, I'm awesome. I'm taking over the world. And then they get, they get kind of arrogant and ignorant. And that's, you know, that's not just chefs. That's the food and beverage world. Everyone's got attitude and egos and, No one's got the heart. No one's got soul. No one's got love. Like for real though, like um, really thinking about what you're trying to do. What is your message? Like, let's be honest. We're not all going to live forever. So what's your message to the day you expire or any of you? We've got to, we've got to have a message that's got to matter. And so writing this book with Jennifer Cockrell King was tough. And the reason why it took so long it's because we both went through serious personal problems. So um, a book should take about two years to write. It took four years for us to get this done. Um, the reason being is I went through a very big personal issue in my life. And Jen gave me a six-month break. Jen went through a very personal uh, problem in her life. I gave her a six-month break. So that's a year right off the hop. And then... Um, we the, the one thing I'll say about Jen is I've never met somebody so patient with me. I am very, uh, I'm a tornado. Um, I think a mile a minute. Sometimes I switch my mind. I, I mean, even right now I'm making meatloaf, for God's <laughs> sake. We'll, we'll never know how this is going to look because I might change my mind. I might not even make meatloaf. I might make meatballs or something. But that's my mind, just thinking about that. But the good thing about her, she harnessed my information. She calmed my mind. Um, and she said, focus, focus. What are you trying to do, Shane? And then the coolest thing about her was, so you ladies cook when you're at home, your mushroom, your cook them, your grandfather, or grandfather, grandmother, sorry, your aunt, your uncle will be adding spices and this and that. They don't, they don't know the measurements. They're just like, Oh no, add this, add that, add this. And you can't do that with a cookbook. You need every single ounce, gram, weight, pound, kg. And that's what Jen did the best is she forced it out of me. She forced it out of me. And that's why the book is successful is because of Jen Cockrell King. Yeah. It, oh, it's funny that you say that because I've tried to get like my grandma's like bannock recipe from her, you know, before. And she's always like, oh, well you know, some flower. And it's like, well, what does, what does that mean, grandma? Like, of course, you know, yeah. like, oh. and it's a, 
some of those foods, it's like, you've never seen a recipe. Like for me, for Bannock, I had never even seen a recipe for Bannock. I just watched my mom make it and then just kind of like figured out her eyeballing it. And then when I tried to teach Tanya, I mean, virtually, so that (laughs) did not work so well, how to make fried Bannock. It was just a disaster. I have the the scars to prove it. <laughs> Learning how to cook. I want to see those stars. Oh, oh, they're they're a lot better now. I ended up having to go to the hospital for like third degree or second. I can't remember. Probably second it was, degree burn. an oil burn, right? Yes, it yeah. was. Oh my god! I, I watched uh... her do it too. I just I was looking at the screen, and I don't know if you threw the bannock in the pan or what happened, but I just watched the oil come up and splash all over you on the screen, and I was like what are you doing? Don't put the bannock in so aggressively. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to literally was slap it many in there. Lessons. <laughs> and, th- and that's the funny thing is the reason why the book is able to be done so well is because I'm going to be dead honest with you. I did it in my professional kitchen. So like when you cook at home, which I'm going to, again, I'm going to make this meatloaf tonight. I can't have the heat like I have at a restaurant. I got canopies, I got hood vents, I've got everything. I've got fire extinguishers, staff. You're cooking at home on a stove. It's a totally different story. You know what I mean? And it's and it's funny because oil, it, you know well, it's 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 a pretty straightforward thing. I don't need to tell you three rock stars that the fact that it things can go wrong really quick. But in a restaurant, it's easy to avoid. That makes me feel a lot better, actually. Like, it's like, oh, you know, like, you can make mistakes at home that you wouldn't necessarily make in a professional kitchen. So, yeah. No, no, because we got grills that are 500 degrees. Yeah. But we got big canapes. Who's got a grill in their place that it's got that kind of heat? But that's the the difference. And that's also as much as it's it's not an excuse. I, I did do a lot of things at home. I did things outdoors on an open grill open fire cooking. I love open fire cooking, done it all my life. Um, but again, that can come with some serious, some, you just got to know what you're doing. Can you imagine if I started a forest. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to yeah. be careful. You just got to be mindful and careful and think it through, have the right team with you. And the reason why the book is successful in those moments was because I'm not, I, I don't, I'm very, um, spontaneous but i'm not unethical i'm very ethical mm-hmm. i think about the indigenous community i think about the metis i think about the cree i think about the blackfoot i think about the iroquois i think about their background food my history um but i got i've got something that is um and the reason why the book also does well is because i got one thing ahead of others is the fact I am also a trained certified professional chef. So I'm okay. I'm allowed to make my moment to twist certain things around. Cause I got actually, uh, I got actually dug on it. I think Twitter. And I think I blocked my Twitter program or my Twitter account because of it. People were calling me out saying I'm not making traditional indigenous food, but I don't need to, the, the book's not about, like going around and getting these old ancient in uh ingredients and recipes it's it was just my dreams and yeah regardless i still got a lot of people on the on that on the look at the back of the book some of the Mm. best chefs in the country gave us props 
and all the chefs too, and all these mamas and papas cooking smushes. Yeah. And like, that's the thing, like we're really keen on like keeping indigenous people in the past um, and like not allowing us to like progress, I guess, and change and like, you know, adapt and like, you know, come up with new ways of doing things. So yeah, there, like I was looking through the recipes and like, there are things that's like, oh no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think of that, you know, and that's okay. Like you're, we're allowed to change. We're allowed to dream. Yes. You're allowed to dream. And at the end of the day, it's just food. It's just food. You know, if you make bannock and your mushroom comes over, doesn't like it. Well, that's okay. Doesn't mean you have to. Bannock's a funny thing for me. Bannock and fry bread, like Indian tacos, goofy stuff. Like I like it. I can cook it well, but there's way more stuff out there than us sitting talking about Indian tacos and bannock. Um, Indi- indigenous food is from this land, it's from this region, it's from this terroir, it's from the people around you, it's from the people that can teach you. Um, there's, a, there's a chief named T- uh, Chief Tony Alexis from the Alexis tribe that taught me how to make stew. But then he said, when you make the stew, when you make a pot of stew, take the bannock, the leftover bannock, like the stale bannock almost, rip it up, put it on top of the stew, cover it on the pot. The bannock's going to act like a dumpling and thicken the brodo, the broth, if you will. That's interesting. That's mm-hmm. not traditional, but I like, yeah. I like, and that's a chief. Yeah, that's I'm going to try that. <laughs> that sounds nope. great. It does sound pretty tasty. However, there was a good point in my life where I couldn't eat stew and bannock anymore just because I had eaten so much of it. Oh, but I know. That, by I the end of it, I was like, no, I can't. No, done. no more stew and bannock. I'm done. I, yeah. I need something I know else. You, I know yeah. what you mean. I've recently come back to it now, but like there's so many times when like different university events where it's like, I can't do this anymore. <clears throat> Listen, <laughs> I went to Vancouver. Um, gee, like c- to cook in Vancouver, all over the city of Vancouver, all they wanted was Bannock. I went to Toronto the same amount of times. All they wanted me to make was Bannock. I'm just like, God, like... This is not us. It's, I mean, it's not the, the beginning and the end of the indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys are just not listening. You're, you're just, you just want what you want. And so that's the thing. I agree with you. Was that you, Sheila, that just said that? Yes. I think so, yeah. So, so I'm tired of hearing about Indian tacos kill me even more. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I can deal with panic, but Indian tacos, that's just nuts to me. That's a southern american thing um we're cree i'm i'm plains cree you know so you know you, you go around these cities and and hang out with these these rock stars that are trying to here's something else that's bugging me sorry and i don't won't go i won't go on because sometimes i do this people trying to put indigenous food on their menus and they know nothing about it you know you go to a restaurant all of a sudden this cool little trendy restaurant has got bannock on it indeed indigenous food is not trendy we're the ones that came first yeah, I I agree, and like people get it really wrong too, and it's like what what is this? Yeah, they get it wrong too. Yeah, and when bannock's bad, and or any type of food is bad, it's bad. I've had bad bannock. I've had pemmican that's made by a non-indigenous person. That was like the most terrifying thing I've ever put in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. It was, 
yeah and I was trying so hard to not spit it out in front of the elder at this event and I was just like it was in my mouth and it was I couldn't even swallow it and I was just like choking nodding, down choking on it yeah what did it what was so it you, like? never did the, you never did the napkin thing huh Oh no. Cause like the elder was standing right in front of me and I was like, I don't want to like literally just napkin spit out <laughs> this pemmican, but it was for an event and they had it catered through a non-indigenous caterer, but the caterer still made bannock and pemmican and the bannock was more like a scone and the pemmican, it was like a scone. And at first I oh, thought it was a two bite brownie because it was a little brown disc. And I was like, Oh, it's like one of those two bite brownies I put in my mouth and it was like pemmican, but pemmican. it was so bad. <laughs> That must have been such you an unpleasant surprise. <laughs> I was just like, and I don't know if that was why I couldn't even swallow it. I was just like shocked at that point of what I just put in my mouth. <laughs> brutal. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. It's, it's worse when they don't do the research or get anyone that can't teach them it properly. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I hate to say this is going to sound very rude. Use your head. Yep. You know, no, it's true. true. You know, I worked in, I worked in lots of Italian restaurants, all of all these restaurants. But when I had a question, I went to the people that knew way more than me. So I don't, you still in this this Mediterranean restaurant had all these, uh, uh, grandmas and, um, aunties that were my prep cooks and they're making the damare, the fatouche. They're making, um, uh, couscous and all this stuff, but I would not act I was the chef, but I wouldn't treat them bad. I wouldn't disrespect them. And I wanted to learn more, but I'm the chef. And plus I'm a, a bit of an owner too. So the idea is to slow your roll and, and, and calm your mind and like pay attention and listen. But it gets tricky too, because let's be honest, ladies, how many, um, your mushrooms and cookums, everybody thinks they got the best bannock. It's like, I don't care. politics it is so funny it is manic politics it is and look at what happened with the um that museum when they put out the picture of the bannock and everyone came from that burnt hockey puck that they put on their website yes it was just and i mean if your mushroom or cook makes their bannock that way then whatever but i think the one thing that gets me is when we do go out to restaurants like salmon and berries or indigenous restaurants, everyone's like, why don't you order the bannock from there? And I'm like, well, because I make bannock and it's probably better than the bannock that they make. So I'm not going to go get bannock from somewhere when I can just make it at home. Like I enjoy my bannock and I'll try their other food, but like, I don't know. Picky with my, I've had bad bannock. So. Are you all from Vancouver? No, I'm from, I live in Vancouver. So. Yeah, I'm Everyone in Edmonton. Yeah. Saskatoon. Oh, Saskatoon. I was there one time. Um, sorry, I don't want to go off track. So I did my book tour and I went to Saskatoon. I went to Ottawa. I went to, um, what was the other one? But so everyone said Saskatoon is a terrible city. Everybody mm-hmm. said Ottawa is a terrible city. I'm going to tell you right now. Maybe it's because I'm naive because I don't live there. I had a great time. Yeah. I thought the scene was fun. I thought the city wasn't as, I thought Ottawa was fun too. I could understand the, the politics behind it. But I mean, it's her cap. It's the capital of Canada. I mean, but Saskatoon. Yeah, I, I, I like Saskatoon. Right. It's a city so, with a good flavor. 
But I'm just... <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> nice sorry. and lame, Sheila. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's all, it's okay. Like, it's... Yeah. It's... Um, no, no. I, but but you got to realize, like, I come from Penhold. I come from Innisfil, Sylvan Lake, these crappy towns. Racist is all. Um, I, you know, you go to a, a city like that. I mean, Edmonton, where, what are we at? 1.1 million or less? Let's say we're a million. Yeah. Right? The bottom line, it's a big city. And um, it's a fun place to be, but it's not the most exciting city. You know, like, I mean, you're used to Saskatoon. I've only been there once and I had a blast. I mean, I couldn't find anything. I didn't know where to go. Oh. You know, I, I think I went to a couple little pubs and little wine bars. The food was okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. okay. But, Tanny, you live here, right? Yeah, I live here. I live in Edmonton. What part of the city do you live in? South side now. I use, I've spent most of my time here on the north side. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. You might as well move to Saskatoon. <laughs> Everyone always laughs at me for loving the north side. But you know what? South end, if you want to go to a restaurant or go to the movie theater, there are so many times where I've tried to go to the movies. And this is, of course, pre-pandemic, where it's just sold out. Whereas Northside, I can show up 10 minutes late for a movie and still get great seats. Nobody likes going down there. <laughs> you lived in kind of the bougie area of the North End for a while. I lived in the, like, I lived right beside Coliseum for, geez, like eight years. Right beside huh. Northland. Yeah. No, I know I where. Yeah. I lived across from and Highlands Junior High. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know the one. It's just yeah. not too far away from there. Vancouver's yeah. funny because I worked in East Hastings. I did mm -hmm. an indigenous dinner. Um, it's not in my cookbook, but I did an indigenous dinner. Um, what's that cafe? It's right in East Hastings. I couldn't believe it. I'm going across. I had to cook in one spot. Going across, there's fires on the streets, um, and I've got to get the food. I got to get the salmon. It's in the book. It's actually the picture in the cookbook of the hanging salmon. Okay, yeah. Salmon was in Vancouver. Oh. And it was not in East Hastings. That's where I prepped it, but I had to bring it over to Gastown. That's a that's an interesting area of Vancouver. Like I live close, but not um, kind of on the other side of near closer to Stanley Park. But oh, no. it's always, yeah. So it's always interesting though, that kind of Gastown, East Hastings, mix where it's just it's such a I really like the community down there it's just it's such a interesting mix of tourists and then like real like community and everything down there yeah I like it it's just East Hates is a little dangerous it's not about the people it's about you know mistakes of somebody hitting you with a needle or something silly or you yeah. never know yeah, and it's like, it's a block or two difference. It's like one block might be, yeah. you know, with fancy restaurants, you go the next block and you're like, yeah. what is, what's happening? I know the Taco Fino in Gastown is like that. It's the front entrance is on like a really nice street. The back entrance is like, where am I right now? So. Oh no, I've, yeah, I've spent a lot of time in Toronto more than, or sorry, Vancouver more than Toronto. I've eaten at so many restaurants there. And yeah, East Hastings is good and bad. And like you just said, one one block off, you're... And the weird thing is East Hastings, I noticed, it shuts down after a certain time of night. And you can't get back into any building. At least yeah, that's it what does. I mean when I was there. Yeah. 
Yeah, it does. It sh everything shuts down a little kind of early down there. So, but that's exactly yes. the, the the salmon that was in Tawau was there, and it was an inspiration of um, the idea of the West Coast Indigenous people that do a lot of smoke huts and smoke houses. But of course, I'm not. I'm not going to spend you know my money building a big smokehouse and smoking salmon. I had to think of a different way to do it. So that's how I did it. And I was in East Hastings and we just smoked a fish, chilled it down. We cured it first. And then we, um, and the crazy thing is actually all the people that were there were addicts, ex-addicts or whatever, that, but they were my assistants. That's the, that was the program. And they did such a good job. They showed up every day. One girl was only, so all the employees that worked for me for the, for those two days to get that salmon to, oh yeah, a, a Squatch Eyes the Lodge. Do you know this place? No. So, Squatch no. Eyes Lodge is in Vancouver. Okay. It's an indigenous museum. Squatch Eyes, a lodge. Yeah, it's, an, it's, it's the only indigenous hotel, I believe in Canada. Oh, and it's I have watched. seen it. Yeah, I've seen yeah. it. And it has a really nice mural on it. Yeah, it's got some tone yeah. pole thing. Yeah. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm pretty new to Vancouver. I've only been here since August. So I'm still oh. exploring the city um, as, as I'm here. But I mean, one of the best parts about moving to a new city is exploring the restaurants. And that's the thing that I've been like really enjoying about being here is just going out and eating at different places. So... Yeah, Squatch Eyes is in a really bad spot too. It's it's just like you said, it's just on that that East Hastings Gastown edge where you just sort of feel uncomfortable, but then no one's really gonna do anything to you, but you never know. But Squatch Eyes is amazing. The artwork in there is amazing, the restaurant's amazing. Um, but yeah, I did I did work there with them and it was um, it was it was insane. And that's the thing, it's about those relationships. You know, I can work. I, I, I worked in, um, like I said, Saskatoon. I did a bunch of stuff in little small towns all over this country. Because the thing is, just because I, you know, I've done all this TV shows does not mean that I'm not going to celebrate all the small towns and all those, those you know, uh, Nietzsche's out there that are wanting to meet me or you guys or you ladies or whoever or anybody on TV. and Because they, they, they're the ones that believe they can't get there. They really truly believe they'll never make it. Of course you can make it. Just got to have some courage and just learn. And that's why I did all of my cooking prior to indigenous food is because I have to learn about catering, breakfast, buffets, all this stuff for years. Because if I don't have that knowledge, then I got nothing at all. That's like really nice. Like we always, we always ask people, um, if they have any like advice for like up and coming creators and like folks, but that's like, yeah, of course you can, you know, that's like mm -hmm. kind of like the point of the show is like giving people that thought, like, of course you can. I mean, I worked in, um, I worked in Inkameep winery. I worked in Tinhorn Creek. Uh, I've worked in the Okanagan Valley with all the Okanagan indigenous people. And again, Ladies, please understand, I'm not saying this to brag. I, I don't want ever, <clears throat> anyone to ever think that's the, it's not it. It's just, the, these are the things I've done. And I, I have to, to the day I expire, I have to make sure that that, that is going to be my, 
it's not about money. It's about that story, that legacy, helping kids, helping adults, helping elders or people who just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And you, you've all been there before. Some kids asking a question, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I, I want to do for a living. I don't want to, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up or the people that are in their like, you know, their mid twenties and they're like, I'm still not sure what my career is going to be. You know, like I've done my wine studies. Um, you know, it, it's not easy being a psalm. I'm, I'm not a certified psalm, by the way, but I did take my, just my first level. And that was, that was hard. It was hard to do. And that's uh, anything you can, you can do anything in the food and culinary world. And just so just to make it even more clear, being a dishwasher is not a bad job either. It's not. Yep. Thank you so much. Shana was wondering, would you be able to talk a little bit more about the relationship between storytelling and food or cooking? Uh, so the, the relationship of storytelling with food and cooking is yeah. I could make you um, uh, salt and boca. I can make you salt and boca um, and plate it and give it to you. You love it. Maybe you think it's okay. Maybe you don't really like it. I don't know. But the thing is, it's about the ingredients. It's about where I got them from. It's about the Mi'kmaq giving me the wild rice. It's about Mona Foods giving me the mushrooms that are uh, picked from the West Coast all the way down to California. And just so you know, local does not necessarily mean it's got to be from your city or your province. You got to realize like California's in the United States, of course, I don't need to tell you that. I'm just saying, but the best mushrooms go all the way down the California coast. So you got to be ethical. You got to think it through. And the one thing I cannot stand in restaurants is pre-made this, pre-made that, like, um, it does happen. I'm not saying that I haven't done it before and I do eat at the same restaurants as you. Like we don't always, we can't always eat at these, you know, great restaurants. Sometimes we'll go to the cactus club and have a burger or whatever. That's reality. But you know, the, the relationship between the land, the people and your menu and what we want to do has got to be so ethical and it's hard. It's really, really hard. Oh, my battery's running low. That's okay. My battery's lo- running low too. I think I think that's all that we have. Right. Um, Unless Shane, do you want any? Would you like to say anything else before we go? Yeah. Do you have anything to plug? I just got one last thing that I say. Um, whenever I do stuff like this, um, a guy from the Kainai Nation and the Pakani Nation taught me this. Um, his name is Cowboy Smith. He's a friend of mine. I always give him props for the things he's helped me out with in my past. Um, <clears throat> so we have to be um, we have to be mindful of the fact that this moment will never happen again. We will never talk at eight forty nine, which is not your time, but it's mine. And we will never do this same conversation ever again. So I I say we celebrate tonight when you ladies relax. Think about the fact that this will never happen again. So, hi, hi to you three. I love that. Thank you so much, Shane, for joining us tonight. Thank you. You betcha.
Thank you. Hi, hi. Yes. And to all of our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Shane that we had and look forward to more Book Women podcast episodes that will be coming out shortly. And I hope you all have a great day. Goodbye.